Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm the senior pastor here at LifePoint Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like a little more information about our church, check out lpchurch.us. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, good morning and Happy New Year to all of you. Uh, I said to the handful who were here at 9 o'clock, it's been a while. I haven't seen you since last year, and it's really good to see you again here this year. And, uh, you know, today's a special day because today is the end of the NFL regular season. And uh, where is, yeah, Ryan walked in with a Steeler jacket, loud and proud. And, uh, whoa, Carol, yeah, she's back here cheering a little too aggressively for the Steelers as well. I I see some Cowboy jerseys, though, right here. And I will tell you that as an NFL Dallas Cowboy fan, I am hopeful um, and this is the time to be hopeful uh, if you're a Cowboy fan. I don't know about you, but as I am also thinking about it, I'm also being realistic because the last time the Dallas Cowboys won the Super Bowl was January of 96. I was in the Air Force, I was single, and I was thin. That's how long it has been since they've won the Super Bowl. And the truth is, what we all know is for 28 straight years, we have ended the season with a disappointing loss. And so I just thought as we begin another playoff run for the Dallas Cowboys, it would be a perfect time to have a series on grief and prepare us all for what we know is probably coming and uh, hopefully we can be better prepared to navigate this playoff season. And with that said, if you're wondering, well, let's define grief. Well, here it is. The American Psychological Association says that grief is simply the anguish experience after significant loss. Now... We're really going to talk about significant loss. It's greater than a football game. I know that you know that. But if you're just kind of getting to thinking about what would significant loss be, well, we all know what significant loss is because we've experienced some significant losses together. In fact, if you were alive before 2001, you may remember September 11, 2001, you know that we as a nation experienced a significant loss together when 2,977 people were killed and thousands others were injured and we had um, this terrible tragedy as a nation and the horror of that was so hard to process and as the years have gone by, um, you know, they've retaken this property and they've turned it into a memorial. In fact, our family was in New York last year and one of the places we wanted to visit was the 9-11 memorial And, and I know many of you have been there and they've really converted that, rebuilt that into a place that's meaningful, it's beautiful. And what we refer to this area, we, we, we refer to this area with two words often. We call it ground zero. And it's, it's a term that's a military term that was used before 2001. But as a nation, we have, when we hear that term, we think of this place where the Twin Towers fell. And we call it ground zero. It's kind of our national ground zero, the place where we experienced significant shared loss. But we all individually have also experienced our own ground zero, maybe multiple times in a life, because if you live long, you're going to experience loss. And my question to you as we just begin this morning is, what is your ground zero? Where is it in your life that you have experienced significant loss? Some of you, as I look at your faces, I know some of your stories, and I know that it is very deep loss that you have experienced. 
Some of you have experienced loss like a loss of a relationship, a loss of a marriage, a loss of your health, a, lot of, a loss of expectation. I thought life was going to go this way and it ended up this way. I, I thought my kids would make these decisions, but they're making these decisions. I thought I would have children. I didn't think I would lose children. Loss. And then there's the loss of a loved one. For me, yesterday was the 10-year anniversary of my dad's death. And then seven weeks ago, my mom died. And last fall, when we scheduled this series, this to kick off 2024 with the series on grief, I didn't think I would be taking another crash course in grief and find myself again at a ground zero. And maybe you're there, or maybe someone you love is there. And historically, as Sean said, as churches, capital C, we haven't been really good at talking about this topic. We love, I love talking about joy, very real, very prominent in scripture, but we don't often talk about grief, which is also very real and very prominent in scripture. But it's, it's not just churches, it's kind of our culture, isn't it? I mean, let's think about it. I heard this week there are several reports that say that the 21st century American is the most grief-adverse culture in history. And what we normally say is, okay, at work, you get three bereavement days, and then it's get back to work, get over it, and let's move on, right? That's kind of our mantra, is we want to move on. We want to get past it. In fact, after 9-11, it was New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg who asked the people of New York to stop referring to this location as ground zero. He wanted instead them people to refer to it as the 9-11 Memorial or the World Trade Center Memorial. Without intending to, he was wanting to offer hope, but there was also a sense of get back to work, let's get over it, and let's move on. We don't make space for grief. And when it comes to grief, here's how most of us, if we're honest, because we absorb this in our culture, most of us deal with it this way. Grief is something we all experience, but most of us try to avoid it or rush through it. Let's just avoid it. It's not helpful. It's, we don't have time for this. We've got other stuff to do. We've got too much to do. Why would I stop and do this? We either avoid it or we try and rush through it. And that's one way to respond. In fact, it's the American way to respond to grief. But I want to ask you, what's the best way to respond to loss? And today, we're going to look at what Scripture has to say on this topic. And as you think about your own ground zero moment, your significant loss moment, you may have experienced loss even recently. And what we're going to try and attempt to do in this series is discover what the Bible has to say that's so encouraging if you've experienced loss. And if you're new to faith, if you're not a Christian, look, what we're gonna talk about today is when Jesus experienced loss. And if you are a Christian, we're going to look at something you probably have never looked at or very rarely. We're going to see how Jesus responded, how he processed his grief. And we're going to look at the story of when he lost a friend and how he responded and maybe learn some things that will be helpful for you. That's my hope, is that today will be helpful for you. If you've experienced loss recently, if you've yet to process some, or for all of us, we know it is on its way. If we live long enough, we will experience loss and we will be at our own ground zero. So with that said, I want us to look at this story, a story where Jesus processes loss, where he grieves and there are things that we can learn from it. It's found in John, 
the fourth chapter in the New Testament, chapter 11. And this is a famous story with Jesus and an exchange he has with a brother and two sisters, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Beginning in John chapter 11, verse 5, it says this. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. And that's an important point, how close they were. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, and he wasn't just kind of sick like he got a little cold. No, he's terminally ill. Meanwhile, Jesus is a few miles away. And watch how Jesus responds. The rest of verse 6, so that when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And that seems odd. He loves this person, finds out they're um, literally about to die, and he doesn't rush back. What's going on? Well, it turns out it's a little complicated because with this location where Lazarus lived, Judea, is where the last time Jesus and his disciples were there, they were actually uh, having to flee for their life. They were trying to kill them. And so to go back to visit Lazarus would go back to the same place where it was very dangerous for them to be. And yet, in verse 7, Jesus surprised his disciples and said, well, let us go back to Judea. And it's funny because the conversation as it continues, one of the disciples says, go back to Judea. That's where we were almost killed. To go back there means that I guess we're just going to go back and die with Lazarus. All right? That's essentially what the disciples think is going to happen. And Jesus goes, well, that's what we're going to do. So they pack up their stuff and off they head. And they get there about four days later. And sadly, Lazarus has already died. Lazarus has already been buried and the stone has already been rolled in front of his tomb, and the people in large mass are already gathering to mourn and weep and to grieve Lazarus. They've come from all around, and there's public mourning. And I don't know about you, but when I even picture this scene, it feels a little strange, because we just don't do that as an American culture, to publicly mourn in this way, to gather for days or even longer, to just weep together with friends and extended friends and extended family. But the Bible is full of stories of people mourning for weeks, sometimes even months. The history records lots of societies that would weep and mourn for extended periods of time where they would have these extended public rituals to mourn and to grieve. But but not us, right? We just don't do that. I mean, today, we actually shrink the time to grief. We're going to give you three days, and then we need to move on. And we, we take our cemeteries, and we put them on the edge of town, and we take our grief, and we really try and make it private or even hidden. We aren't comfortable. We don't want to burden other people with our grief. And we don't want to step into someone else's grief because I'm not even sure what I would do. It's just not part of our culture to have these kinds of rituals and moments like Jesus is stepping into in Judea. It's very strange for us. But notice how it continues because not only were they gathering there, the reason they were gathering there was to offer support for the sister's grief. They've just lost their brother, Lazarus. So look down at verse 19. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Now, I think this is one of the most spiritual things that we get to do. 
is to comfort one another in loss. And maybe, and so many of you are so good at this, maybe one of the most spiritual things we can do is attend funerals and support each other, to write cards and support each other, to uh, cook meals and to sit with people who are hurting like these did with Mary and Martha. That's another reason why I think small groups are just so important. I know when my mom died, my small group provided us meals. They would send us encouraging texts. They continued to check in on us. And I'll be honest with you, the heaviness of grief was made just a little bit lighter because I knew there were people who were carrying a little bit of it with me. Well, Jesus shows up with his disciples. All these people are grieving publicly, and it's a strange scene to us, very common to them. But watch the sister's response when she sees Jesus. And here's how we normally respond when we are grieving, just like she is grieving in this moment. Verse 32, Mary. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at his feet. Which is interesting because she's the same one with the perfume earlier anointing Jesus. And now she falls at his feet in worship. And I just want to tell you, by the way, we all do this. Whether you follow Jesus or not, we all do this. When we experience desperation and we are at that place of loss, we will pray in hopes that he exists, in hopes that he will step in and do something when we get that desperate. And yet there is a twist to the way Mary responds, which is also the way we respond in grief. And that's the last part of verse 32. She says, and by the way, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You notice how she flipped from worshiping and praising God to blaming God? Doesn't that sound familiar? That's how we do it too, right? When we're in that place of desperation, I'm like, I need you, God. Why would you let this happen, God? God, I love you. God, where are you? And it just goes back and forth. And Mary is doing that in this moment. It's so real as she is grieving and she sees Jesus and this is the way she responds. And what I love is Jesus embraces her response. He's not only okay with it, he's moved by it. And if you've ever wondered, how did Jesus personally handle grief? We're about to look at it. And this is a passage that I think needs more airtime, especially amongst Christians. Look at verse 33 as we look at how Jesus deals with grief. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he told her she had three days and then she needed to get back to work and get over it and move on. No, he says, the scripture says that he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now listen, when you blame God and it's raw, when you're hurting, when you reach out in desperation to God because you're hurting, look at his response. He is deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Psalm 34, 18 says that he moves nearer to, draws close to the brokenhearted. And he does this right here with Mary. Isn't that great to know this is how he sees our pain and our loss? He moves in. He draws nearer to you. 
He's moved by your grief, and that means you never cry alone. And then he asked, well, where have they laid him? And they responded, well, come and see. They replied, and then the shortest verse in all the Bible, Jesus wept. Staff asked if I would make that our memory verse, this series, thinking maybe everybody would have a shot at nailing that one down. Jesus wept. Now, though we hide tears publicly, Jesus wept publicly. We know that because in verse 36 it says, Then the Jews said, as they saw Jesus weep, See how he loved Lazarus. There's evidence in those tears of his love for Lazarus. You see, Tom Hanks may say there's no crying in baseball, but Jesus displays there is crying in loss. And after Jesus cried, he walked over to the tomb and he asked them to roll the stone away. And after his prayer, and down in verse 43, the second half of that verse is that famous phrase where he says, Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. Or if you were raised on one of the Real traditional translations like the King James, it's come forth. And man, we just, there's something about that one. We love to really camp on that one. That one's a pretty powerful moment. And guess what? Scripture says a dead man came out. In fact, the next part of that verse, verse 44, the last part of it says, Jesus said, take off these grave clothes and let him out. Let him go. He is free. Lazarus has come back to life. And we all love that part of the story. And that's normally the part of the story that we focus on. But I think we've got to ask this question. Why did Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead? Was it to avoid grief because he's around people who are crying, who are weeping, who are mourning, who are sad? And to avoid that, he wanted to perform a miracle so they would no longer be mourning and be sad? Well, we know that isn't the case because after he raised Lazarus from the dead, guess what happened? Lazarus eventually died again. In other words, Lazarus wasn't raised from the dead and then he lived forever. It's not like there's a 2,000-year-old Lazarus walking around somewhere. He lives over in Allen and you can just go visit him whenever you want. You can go, hey, what was it like in the Middle Ages when the Cowboys last won their Super Bowl, right? No, he didn't. He died in the it's, it's logical to assume that he died just a few years later and some of those people may be back. I don't know. Maybe they're thinking, send him flowers. I sent him flowers at the last one. I'm not doing this again. I've already gotten credit for my mourning, right? But apparently he dies again. So there must have been some reason that Jesus wanted to raise Lazarus from the dead. And if you went all the way back to the beginning of the chapter, beginning of verse 4 and so on, what we see is that Jesus says, this will all happen. He even says, I'm going to raise him from the dead. And he goes, all this event is going to happen so that we give God glory. In other words, we're going to learn something about God through this exchange, through this story. It isn't about Lazarus. It's about the way God moves in, in our grief and in our loss. He wants to show us something about our Father. I think this is a really powerful moment to recognize what he is doing and who he's doing it for. 
knowing that this would be preserved for all of history, Jesus is God. And when Mary comes before him and is mourning, and then Jesus raises him from the dead, that loss is restored. And I believe as we learn something about God through this story, and you know what your ground zero is today, where that loss is in your life, this is a reminder that all the death that we experience, that our God holds the key, and there will be a day to come when he makes all things right. There is a day to come when he restores your ground zero, when he brings life to what has died, and he's revealing that he has power even over the grave. And whatever you feel like you've lost out on in life, there is a day to come. We learn through the story in the glory of God that he will make all things new again. And we think, God, I love you. And I am so grateful that this isn't the end. There is more to come. And we see that in the power of life being brought to that grave that day. But in the meantime, you and I live here with our grief and with our loss. And I can't help but think as Mary came to Jesus, that Jesus is not only responding to Mary because we're learning something about God, Whatever you would bring to Jesus in that moment, he's responding to you too. That you aren't alone. That he opens and he, his spirit is troubled and his heart is broken and moves close to you too. And that he weeps with you too. And yes, verse 43 is coming. And we all go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But don't skip verse 35 where Jesus wept. This is our cultural tendency is to skip Verse 35, where Jesus wept. And here's what's so important about this story. It's what Jesus knew when he wept. Because he's already said in verse 4, 5, and 6, and again in verse 11, I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And when Mary started crying and the others started weeping, he could have said, hey, wipe those tears away. I'm about to raise him from the dead. He doesn't do that. He doesn't skip to verse 43. He stops at verse 35, and in their immediate loss, he steps into it with them, and he grieves too. He wept in verse 35, even though he knew verse 43 was coming. And I think that's significant. That Jesus allowed himself to grieve immediate loss, even though he knew the future would be good. And can I just say, Christians, we aren't very good at this. We know the future is good, and so we skip the immediate loss. When someone has lost, we want to jump to verse 43. We don't want to sit with someone in verse 35. I believe it's uh, unintentional, but it's toxic positivity and spiritual bypass. It's just, you know what this feels like because you've probably done it. I have certainly done it, and I've had it done to me. It's well intended. It's intending to bring hope. But we take someone's rain cloud of loss and we throw a silver lining around it as fast as we can. And when they say, hey, I've just gone through a divorce, we tell her and while she's in the middle of that loss, we say, well, at least he can't hurt you anymore. There'll be another man along the way. 
Someone loses someone that they love and we say, well, at least they lived a long life. At least they're not suffering anymore. And, and the key phrase is, anytime we're about to tell someone with loss a phrase that begins with, at, well, at least, it's a bad idea, whatever comes after that. Just don't say it. Now, we, we want to offer hope but we skip the immediate loss. We're skipping verse 35 to get to verse 43. In the same way with the spiritual bypass, we do this all the time because we're really kind of good at it. It just isn't any, it isn't any, it's not helpful. When somebody has something really bad happen in their life and we say things like, hey, God's got a plan. God's got a plan. And we're like, yeah, that's verse 43, but I'm in verse 35 right now, Right? Or when someone has a loss and we say, well, man, I, 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 I'm just so glad you're going to see them again in heaven. So that's verse 43, and it's true, it's good, and we need that perspective, but we also need to sit with people in verse 35 where there's the immediate loss. Not skip it. In fact, both are true. We can hold both, right, with both hands. We say, God will be faithful, yes, but I am in pain now, yes. Both are true. And to be able to hold both things, I love that Jesus didn't skip over their grief to get to the resurrection, but he sat with them in it. So with that said, let's make this really practical. Here are some truths about grief. First, and this is so important, because if you're sitting here and you're thinking, oh, well, this is a series about death, and I haven't had anybody die recently, or, or I've grieved that, this series isn't for me, well, I hope you'll hang in there because... Grief isn't about death. Grief is about loss. You've lost something. Maybe it was a dream. Maybe it was an expectation. Maybe it was a relationship, a friendship, a family member that was toxic and you had to move on. You lost something or you lost someone. The question to ask is, what have I lost? Because that's what we grieve. What is it that I've lost? I know for my mom, she had such a, great dry wit sense of humor that was often inappropriate but she loved to laugh more than she loved anything else she also loved to pray and so we could always call and text her and she'd start praying right away and we loved that that prayer covering and so I've lost her laugh and I lost her her prayers and I grieve that how about you what have you lost you see, when there's loss, we face two different options. We can avoid it or we can acknowledge it. And to avoid the loss, which is what we as Americans are tempted to do, we step away from peace. But to acknowledge the loss is to step toward peace. It's a move toward peace. But we love to step away from the loss, to avoid it altogether, to rush through it, and to move on. We numb it by overworking, overdrinking, overeating. But ungrieved losses do not rest in peace. In fact, it's the University of Nevada, Reno, that came out with this study that talks about the harmful effects of ungrieved loss on our bodies and on our lives. Listen to this. It says, unresolved grief, according to this study, it leads to depression, cardiovascular risk, complicated grief when we just get completely stuck and frozen. Substance abuse, recurring illness, decreased work production, developmental challenge, particularly amongst children and teens, and marital strife. 
Yeah, unresolved loss, oh, it does not rest in peace. So back to our original question, what's the best way to respond to loss? And I believe it is just simply acknowledging it as a step toward peace. It's only recently in a leadership culture that there's been a study that talks about the transitional cycle um, that we all go through the four emotions of transition. And I think it's just really poignant in this, on the topic of grief. And first is comfort. This is where we all start. This is where we all want to be. This is where we find it easiest to have peace. But then we experience loss if you live long enough and it jolts us out of comfort. And then there's grief. Then there's a season of uncertainty, and then there's acclimation or the new normal. And then the goal is to get back to comfort where we find peace the easiest. The trick, though, is most of us, when we're jolted out of comfort, we just want to get back to comfort. The last thing we want to do is go into grief. It looks like a dark cave that is a trap that will leave us hurting. It turns out to be a tunnel through which there is light on the other side and we will be changed but it is the only way to move forward into these next stages so that we do eventually in time return to some new normal to some new and different comfortable but most of us will get stuck if we avoid that next step in this cycle we've got to go through grief and Jesus tells us you can't skip to verse 43 you got to go through Verse 35. So let me ask you something very personal. What do you need to grieve? See, for some people, it might be the loss of a marriage. It might be financial security. It might be friendship. It might be the loss of some relationship. For some of you, if you're new, you may not know this, but we are, as a church, we are relocating on Easter to our Rock Hill campus. And for some of us who've been at Plano for a long period of time, what you may be grieving is just the loss of this campus. The reality is, it would be, even though the future is good, it doesn't mean that you don't feel loss. And I know that if I were you, that's what I would feel is the loss. For some of us, it might be the death of a loved one over the past year or the recent years that you've just gotten busy and you've tried to avoid it and you've tried to move on, go back to work and overcome it. Now that we're beginning a a new year, wouldn't it be great to begin this year and just grieve our losses and just to sit in that and to recognize verse 35 is important. See, when we experience a loss, we have these two choices. We can avoid it, or we can acknowledge it. And what I want to encourage all of us is to not let 2024 be a year we avoid it, but we acknowledge it. Because if you don't, and here's the warning, if you decide to not grieve loss now, Well, it will come back and create grief for you later and for the people that you love who are closest to you. It has a way of haunting us, of hardening our heart and and reshaping us to be a person we don't want to be. So how? That's the practical way. Okay, that's, but how? How do I grieve a loss? 
Well, that's the point of the series. And the good news is the first step is not that complicated. Because the first step is to acknowledge it. Just to identify it and acknowledge your loss. And I believe that might mean for you and me that this week we sit down at some point and just ask ourselves this question, what have I lost? And identify what it is I need to grieve. And resist the temptation to do the spiritual bypass to verse 43. But say, God, what have I lost? Help me see that. Help me know that. And then number two, I would just say is talk about it. Talk about your loss. Find someone that you can talk through, maybe someone that you trust. For me, it was not only people in my small group and my family, but a couple of friends. I just needed to talk, need to keep doing that, just kind of talk about it. And, and, and them not try to fix it, but just sit with you in it. And then number three is allow yourself to feel the pain of the loss, to feel the sadness And with that, you are entering into grief, into that journey that leads you forward. So, okay, then what? What's the next step? After I acknowledge the loss, then what? Honestly, come back next week, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about. But I want to do this. I want us to close with prayer today. Because I know that in a, As we begin a new year, we're kind of contemplative a little more maybe than normal, and we're also, we want to begin a new year strong. I know there are hurts. I know there are losses in this room. And so what I would like to do is ask you, as we pray, to just close your eyes. In fact, if everyone could do that right now, if everyone could just close your eyes for a second and just sort of create a space for everybody else. And what I would like to do is if you have a loss, if you've experienced a loss, I just want to pray for you today. And so would you do me a favor? If you have loss, would you just raise your hand right where you sit right now? Yeah. Just raise your hand. Thank you. You may put those down. A lot of you. Now historically, as we talked about and saw in John 11, and we see on historic record, societies have grieved publicly. We've gotten less comfortable with that. And I want to invite you today to share in one another's grief. So this will take a step of courage, but if you raised your hand while everyone's eyes are still closed, would you be courageous enough to stand? I want to pray for you today. So right now, where you are, if you have grief, if you've experienced loss, would you just stand? Yes, thank you. Many, yeah, there you go. Just stand. Yeah, a lot of you have experienced loss. Thank you for standing. Would you remain standing for a second? Church, now this is our moment to support people's grief and loss. Would you do me a favor? If you're sitting near someone who is standing, would you go stand with them so that as I pray, they don't stand alone? And this is a way in which we symbolically and physically stand with someone so that we carry each other's grief and make it just 
a little bit lighter today? Would you stand with someone? Thank you. Yeah, go ahead and get up and look. If you see someone standing, would you go stand with them right now? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you see each person standing and you see those who have lost but aren't standing. God, thank you for showing us how Jesus grieved, how he didn't just blow by it to move on to the next thing. God, thank you for showing us what we need to do in that we need to sit in the grief and we need to talk, acknowledge it, talk about it, and walk through it. God, if we've experienced some kind of grief over the past year or longer, would you help us to see it? Help us identify what that is. God, thank you for being the kind of God who restores life where life has been taken. And you restore it with hope and with peace. Most of all, God, thank you for walking through this difficult journey with us and drawing closer to us when we are hurting and when our hearts are broken. Thank you that we don't have to go through this alone. Jesus, we love you. And we pray this all in your name. Amen.